We want to welcome each one of you even to our Easter celebration service. Praise the Lord, we had a fantastic weekend services in all our language churches. And here in the English church, we have our first screening, movie screening in this hall here on a, on a big screen. You know, and uh, the, the movie Reason, uh, we are so captivated by it and we thank the Lord for all the souls that are saved. But on this Easter morning, I'd like to share on what the choir and what the presentation have just uh, talked about. And that is, He Holds the Keys. Everybody say, he holds the keys. He holds the keys. Hallelujah. It is important for us to grasp that. Now, we know that keys are important in life, right? There are all kinds of keys. You have your car keys. You have your house keys. And even on the internet, you need a key to get in. And that is your password or whatever it is. So keys are very, very important in life and it is symbolic of, of, of things uh, that are within our control. We can enter freely and we can go out freely. So the Bible here says in Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. We will read from this passage of Scripture. <coughs> I think this is a very powerful passage. We cannot read it sitting down. All right, shall we stand up? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. For this Easter message, I'm not taking you to the gospel where the disciples experienced the resurrection of Jesus. I'm taking you 60 years later after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 60 years later. And what happens? Let's read together. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. May God add blessings to his word. Thank you. Please be seated. It was the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. And all the disciples have died. John was the last remaining disciple of Jesus Christ. And he was about 
He was more than 90 years old at this time. And he was exiled to the island of Patmos. The Roman Empire, the Roman government still considered him a threat. And all 90 year plus year, a 90 plus year old man with just one message of the Lord Jesus Christ and yet still considered a threat to the Roman Empire. And so they sent him and exiled him to the island of Patmos where most political prisoners were sent to keep him isolated there. And it was there that he, on the last day, he received messages from the Lord and he wrote to us. It has been about 60 years after that earth-shattering, life-transforming, most powerful event in history when Jesus rose from the dead. And now 60 years later, the Apostle John had a different experience altogether. He has seen a lot of things. He had been through a lot in life. But what he saw, what he witnessed on that island of Pemos is something else. And it reinforces the message of the resurrected Savior and Lord. He holds the key. What John saw was the splendor, the glory, and the power of the resurrected and glorified Savior. It is interesting. Perhaps John has not, has not seen Jesus Christ for 60 years. Maybe in between, Jesus could have revealed himself to John. We don't know. We do not know. But there was no record of it. But John has not seen the risen Savior for 60 years. And now suddenly he saw Jesus Christ in a vision. Is he any different from the one who came out from the tomb? Oh yeah, definitely very different. Now this is the resurrected Savior, but more than resurrected, he's now glorified in heaven. And the Bible here gave us a record of what John saw. John saw what nobody has seen before concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first time anybody has seen Jesus Christ after he ascended unto heaven. We don't know what happened, but John tells us what happened. He holds the keys, hallelujah, and we must see him, the one who holds the key as who he really is. And who is this? We have just read from verse 12 to verse 17, the description of the Son of Man. He says, I saw somebody like the Son of Man. Like the Son of Man. Now, that is the favorite term that Jesus would use for himself. And it, Jesus used it in the, in the Gospels. It was used 83 times, referring to himself, the Son of Man. 
Now Jesus is glorified. He is the Son of God. He is fully divine in, in heaven. And yet in heaven, with angels at his bidding, he is still identified as the Son of Man. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man. And that's why he's known as the Son of Man while he was living on this earth. But after he has ascended in heaven, John still identifies him as the Son of Man. In other words, the humanity of Jesus Christ is linked to him forever, even in heaven. Not that he's a human being there, no, but the title, the Son of Man, he is so identified with us, humankind, with humanity. That even up there, he's still known as the Son of Man. That's how much he identifies with you and with me, with each and every one of us. And what John saw concerning this Son of Man, of course, is symbolic language, all right? What you have just read is symbolic language. And Revelation is full of symbols. And so... Let's look back at the description. Verse 13, among the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man. You want to know how Jesus looks like? Now, nobody knows how Jesus looks like. Even the movie Reason, that's not the real Jesus, all right? And even the Jesus that you saw here, with the glasses one, ah, definitely, that's not Jesus, okay? <laughs> just, just joking, all right? And all the paintings, all the pictures that you have seen about Jesus Christ, most likely, there's little resemblance to the real Jesus. Alright, we don't know. Nobody have a picture of Jesus Christ. But here, John gave us, in a way, a physical description, but it's only symbolic. Alright, it's all in symbols or figurative, not literal. He says, one like a son man dressed in a robe. Ah, that's where, the, that's where the, the Jesus that you saw this morning, maybe got it right there. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest, the hair on his, weight, on his head was white like snow or like wool, as white as snow. All those white hair people, hallelujah, praise the Lord. You know, don't have to be ashamed of your white hair, Okay. And uh, his feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His right hand, seven stars. His mouth, there was a sharp double-edged sword. Talking about the word of the Lord that come forth from his mouth. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You want to see the face of Jesus? You try to go outside and look into the sun and see. You can't see, right? Because it's too bright for the eye. You can't see. His face was, was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. But all this is just figurative language to show us the splendor and the glory of our resurrected Savior. Hallelujah. Friends, nobody can describe Jesus there is none 
like him, the song says. Amen. There is no man who is like him. No man has seen God and yet still live. Remember Moses when he would go into the presence of God, into the tabernacle or into the mountain of God. And when he comes down, you find that the, you know, the, his face was shining. And the people couldn't even bear to see the face of Moses. He has to cover his face. Now that is second-hand glory from Moses. And yet people cannot stand the second-hand glory of God. And so you find that God's presence and, God, and God's glory is so great that our eyes cannot behold it. No wonder the Bible tells us, John, fall down as though dead. Now many of us say, I want to see Jesus. <laughs> I tell you with our physical eyes, we cannot see Jesus. The glory is too great for us. You really want to see Jesus? Friends, it's only when we are glorified, when we are, we are resurrected, we have the new body, then we can see the glorified Jesus. Otherwise, the splendor and the glory is greater than the sun. Even the sun, the, 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 sun, the, the physical sun itself, we cannot bear its brilliance how much more the glory of the son of man. And so the Bible here says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Hallelujah. Jesus identifies himself. I am. I am the great I am. Now revealing himself. And actually this is his name. I am. The Alpha and the Omega. In the Greek, it's in the original language, it is, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He is the alphabet, the beginning and the end of the alphabet. The A to Z. And everything else in between. He is the Word. Everything is made up of words. From A to Z. You can, you, can, you can make anything out of the alphabets from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, and Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is the beginning of creation. He is the end of creation if there is one. He is the beginning in your life. He is the be ending in our life and everything else in between. He is the Z A. To the Z. He is the B to the Y. He is the C to the X. He's everything else in between. Hallelujah. Come on, give him a big hand. And so, if you are fearful of your past, your beginning, your past, Remember that Jesus has been there. He is there right from the very beginning. If you are fearful, fearful of the future, of what it holds, remember Jesus Christ is there. He is at the end of it all. So what is there to be afraid of? 
There are many things in life that cause us to be fearful. That's why Jesus says, do not be afraid. Now, of course, John may have been afraid of just what he saw. But many of us are so afraid of life itself and what it holds, the uncertainties, the tragedies, the calamities, the disappointments in life. But Jesus says, I've been there. I will be there. And the one who is the Alpha and the Omega promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's His promise for each and every one of us. The A to Z of your life is all covered. He is there and He will always be there. Somebody say, Amen. And He says, I am the living one. I am the living one. Only deity can say that. Only divinity can say that. Only God can say that. I am. I am the living one. I am the God of the living. And so Jesus Christ here shows that He is divine Himself. To be able to say, I am the living one. He is God. Oh, the splendor and the glory. <laughs> but all this is because of something that has happened. And it is because of the resurrection. It is because of the resurrection that we are able to see the picture of Jesus in heaven so glorified. And the resurrection holds the key to everything. <coughs> Pardon me, I've been having this call for about a week. It's okay. It's just a persistent cough, that's all. <coughs> there, there are so many begin to cough now. <laughs> Did I catch you from you or you or you? <laughs> the resurrection, hope. That is a key to everything. Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead. And now, look. Behold, I am alive forevermore. What happened to the screen? I just wanted to point something to it. The resurrection as we know it, friends, is not just a historical fact. 
Definitely it's not just the imagination of man, but it has been in the plan and the purpose of God. Right from creation, right from the beginning. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forevermore. Jesus speaking in his glorified form. It shows that God has a purpose even for the life of Jesus Christ right from the beginning. Nothing happens by chance. It wasn't an accident. In the English in, in some translation, it says, I was dead. But in some other translation, it says, I became dead. And I think that would be a closer translation. I became dead. Just as the word became flesh. Now Jesus became dead. Now all of us, we have to die one day. We cannot escape that. We cannot even choose the day in which we die. But for Jesus Christ, it's different. He says, no man takes away my life. I lay it down myself. He intentionally lay down his life. How does death come about? It is the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's why death happens because it's the wages of sin, the result of sin. But Jesus Christ, he was sinless. It's not because the wages of sin is death, so therefore he became dead. No. He became dead in the sense that he intentionally laid down his life for us. And that is very powerful. The death of Jesus Christ is not the martyr's death. It's not because Rome was so powerful. It's not because the Sanhedrin planet but Jesus laid down his life for us. The death upon the cross, the crucifixion, and all of this. Why? In order that we may be delivered from the power of sin and death once and for all. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ became dead for me, for you. For each and every one of us here, he became dead for your sake. Even as John wrote this, he was, he was frightened. He's the last of the disciples. And Rome was still persecuting the church. And yet in the midst of all the persecution, that's when Christ reveals himself. You don't have to be afraid, John. You don't have to be afraid, church. My resurrection 
I became dead and I am alive forever and ever. That conquers all. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Hallelujah. Praise God. And don't, don't, don't miss out the word. Forever and ever. Jesus is not just alive. He says, I am alive forever and ever. What does forever and ever mean? Correct, clever. Forever and ever means forever and ever. That means for all eternity, He will never experience death again. That's what forever and ever means. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He has conquered death forever and ever. Rome will never put another nail into his hands. No more nail into his feet. He can never die again. The Sanhedrin cannot crucify him. The Jewish leaders cannot put him back to the cross because he has conquered it all. Our Jesus is alive forever and ever and ever and ever. Glory to his name. <coughs> and his resurrection, that's why it's so very, very important. It has never happened to anybody in history. Even those people that Jesus raised from the dead, they became alive, but not forever and ever. Maybe for another 10 years, 15 years, 50 years, after that they die. But Jesus is alive forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. And one day we are going to see Him forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The resurrection. That's why we celebrate it. That's why we rejoice in it. But let's go deeper into this that powerful text. He says here, and I hold the keys, the keys of death and Hades. Before we go into that, there's something very, very interesting here right? that I'd like to mention. Of all the things that Jesus did, nothing is recorded here. He just says, I'm the living one. I became dead or I was dead and now I'm alive. Oh, there were so many miracles that he did. He could have said something about it. I, the one who fed the 5,000, remember? The one who healed the lepers, the one who raised the dead, the one who healed the sick. But nothing was mentioned except his death. It is as if Jesus Christ came for that one purpose. Nothing can build the church of Jesus Christ except the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, all the other things are important, yes. 
But as far as the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned, he came for one purpose, to become dead. That's the only thing recorded. Nothing else recorded of all that he did. 33 years on this earth. And yet all he could say is, I live, yes. I live among you. I was like one of you and I became dead. His death is what makes the difference. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Death and Hades is specified here. Most translations use the word Hades. Some translations use the word, I hold the keys of death and hell, which is not wrong, it's correct. But I think the, the, the actual one is more of Hades. What is Hades? Hades is the place of the disembodied spirits. And it can refer to heaven or hell. Heaven, of course, will be paradise. Hell, they would use the word Gehenna. It can refer to both paradise or Gehenna. In the Hebrew, Hades is a Greek. The, the Greek word Hades is translated from the Hebrew word Shul. But here, it says here Hades, it can, uh, I believe that it can refer both to heaven or hell. Although some translation, uh, uh, like I say, refers to hell specifically. But whatever it is, it is the, it is the, the, the place of, of those departed spirits. He says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. <coughs> death has never been in the plan of God. Do you know that? When God created mankind, we were not supposed to die. No. But because of the sin of Adam and Eve, that's where the destruction of the body came in. That's why the Bible says death is the enemy. Death is the last enemy to be conquered. A powerful enemy. And now, when Jesus has risen from the dead, he holds the key to death and hell. Hey, Satan doesn't hold the key to hell. Jesus holds the keys even to these places of damnation. Death is something that we are so fearful about. We try to avoid it. We try to escape it. There has never been one place, one city, one village that I have ever visited. There has never been one home, one community, one house where I have visited where death has not visited before. Death has visited every place on earth. It's either sooner or later. 
Madam Chiang Kai-shek, a relic of the old World War II. She lived up to 106 years old. Wow. But after that, she died. The oldest person, I think a few years ago, she died. A woman, 116 years old from Japan. 116 years old. And she's very peculiar. She can stay awake for two days. And after that, she can sleep for two days in a row. Straight. Just like that. Two solid days she can sleep. And after that, two solid days she can stay awake. She died at the age of 116. And mankind, from the, from the simplest to the most brilliant. You know all those IT, IT brilliant guys? They are fighting, even death. Steve Jobs succumbed to it. And so this founder of uh, PayPal, he has a desire, his, 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 his modest ambition, he says, is to live until 120 years old. And then I heard that this co-founder of Google, Steve Breen or somebody, he's on a crusade against death. He says he wants to find a cure for death. And he has, he has invested billions of dollars, billions of dollars into pharmaceutical companies to discover a drug that will at least extend life for as long as possible. But friends, death still strikes all of us until Jesus Christ comes into the picture and he says, I hold the keys to death. Keys talk about power and authority. When you go to the, to, the, to the car dealership, you know, you pay the money, deposit, whatever it is, you know, bank loan, and all the papers are signed and everything, and finally, you get the keys. What do, the, what do those, those keys represent? You are now the owner. Car is yours. You can drive it out. Car is yours. You have ownership. You have possession. That's what keys mean. You buy a new house. Oh, in Malaysia, you have to wait for so long, maybe six months, some even longer. You know, after all the paperwork is done and everything, finally, you get what they call vacant possession. Wow, you've been waiting for it. Finally, you get the keys. Keys show control. You have control already. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus says, I hold the keys, He's in control of all things, of death even, and even of hell. Jairus' daughter was sick. Jesus was delayed in going to minister to her because of healing of the woman uh, 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 that had an issue of blood. But, but he went there anyway. And when he reached her home, he's, he commanded her, Arise. He used that key to open the gates of death and let the girl out. And the girl woke up. 
The widow of Nain had a son who was already in the coffin. And Jesus was traveling down the road, met that coffin head on. And, come, and he used that key to unlock the gate of death and commanded the man to get up. Jesus once again used that key of death. And he went to the tomb of Lazarus and shouted, Lazarus, come forth. He has authority to use that key. And Lazarus came out. Keys have, are used to either lock or unlock. In this case, Jesus unlocked all of them and they became alive. Brothers and sisters, this is a confidence that we have. This is a trust and confidence that we have. That our Lord Jesus Christ holds the key to death and to Hades. So therefore, my life is in His hands. Nobody can die prematurely. No, no, no child of God can die prematurely or too late. You know, the timing of it all. He holds the keys. When it's not time for me to die, hey, the devil cannot touch me. The government cannot make me disappear. Oops. Because Jesus holds the keys. But when it is time, when Jesus says, hey, I hold the keys to heaven. Now, I open heaven's door. Come in, my child. Then nobody's going to keep me away from it. Not the riches and the wealth of this earth, not the power and the status in this world. When it's time, it's time. Hallelujah. That's the confidence that we have as people of God, as children of God, because Jesus holds the keys. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on, give him a hand. Some of us have lost our loved ones. Sometimes it seems so untimely, so sudden. And we wonder why. We don't have all the answer. Except this assurance. God, you hold the keys. Hallelujah. And just to trust in the Lord. Power and authority. When he say that he holds the keys, it's not just to Hades and not just of death, but of life itself. He holds the keys to life, friends. He holds the keys to everything. He holds the keys to your future. He holds the keys to your health. He holds the keys to your relationship. He holds the keys in every area. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys. I have the keys. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. We don't have time to talk about the key of David. This is a governmental key. 
When you are given the key to the city, you have possession over the city, you have control over the city, you have authority over the city. And the key of David, a very powerful one, all right? What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And likewise, in Isaiah 22, verse 22, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. This is our God. He holds the key. And whenever he opens something, nobody can shut it. Whenever he shuts something, nobody can open it. There is a power and authority that he has. What God commands, what God says. The door is open. The door opens at his command. And so brothers and sisters, what is that door in your life right now? He's opening that door for you and nobody is going to shut it. Enter in through that door. Are some, doors are, still, are, are some doors still shut in your life? This morning, He's going to open that door for you. Because He's alive forevermore. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. So don't think that any door is too difficult for him to open. Whatever challenges that you are facing right now, you've been banging, banging, banging against that door and it's still shut. You've been knocking your head against that door. That door is still shut. The door to, to your health, the sicknesses that you are battling, the financial crisis, the family situation. He holds the keys and whenever he commands to open, it must open. And whenever we talk about open doors and shut doors, we commonly refer to missions, yes. And God is granting us open doors in so many nations. Brothers and sisters, we must walk through that door. We must go through that door while the door is still open because there will come a time when it was shut. We who celebrate Easter are not just to celebrate it as a historical day, but to live in the power of the resurrected Savior who continues to grant us open doors so that we may reach out to more before the door shuts. To reach out to lost souls, to the nations. To walk through that door and bring healing to lives. To know that my life, your life has a purpose. He is an Alpha and Omega and everything else in between. Everything else in between in our lives. He has a purpose for us. Are there doors that you have been praying and say, God, please open this door for me. The one who holds the keys is with us right now. Believe God for a miracle. Even 
this Easter. The Alpha, the Omega, the living one, the one who became dead, the one who is alive forever and ever, the one who holds the keys to your health, to your wealth, to your well-being, to your future. Hallelujah. He holds the keys. Let's worship Him. Let's adore Him. John the Apostle, the Bible says, when he saw and heard all these things, he fell down as one who is dead until he heard the voice that tells him, do not be afraid. Let's not be fearful. But let's come before him in worship and know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not just for the disciples and for the early church, but 2,000 years later, or 60 years later, it has greater implications for John 2,000 years later for us, friends, he holds the keys. Shall we pray?